visitors that might be here. Um, you know, it's just amazing to us, just God's goodness, and I've shared with you before about the medical outreaches. It was never our intention to do this on an ongoing basis. We're going to do one. And uh, God has kept it up through the years, providing the doctors, the medicines. And um, um, it, it's just amazing, you know, that, that you go down there and somebody gets a pair of glasses. And for the first time, they can see details and colors and everything. We have nothing, you know, we, we're, so, we're so blessed in this country. Well, for the first time, they, they see some medical attention that their child can get that has never gotten. Um, and, and the guys that God has put together, these guys have it down to a wire. Some of you know Dr. Jim and Bev Hendrickson, and he goes all over the place in Africa and everything. And uh, he, he commends us all the time, our triage, the organization, the way this it just, these guys get down and set it up. They have it all set up. They board it out. They funnel people. It's just, it, 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 it's like an oil machine, the way God does it. And, uh, and the docs just get in their cubicles or whatever it is and just see patients. And uh, just, um, you know, Dr. Graciela, Dr. Walters, and many others have gone. And it's just an amazing thing. And so um, our intention is, um, is to provide them the gospel. That's the key. So these material things are really unimportant if we don't preach the gospel to them. As that person receives those glasses and they can see for the first time, they're so excited. When the gospel is embraced, they get to see the world as God intended it. And they don't have to be bound to the worldview of their nation or of their uh, culture or of their education, but they can sift everything through the Word of God. Now they're able to make discretionary decisions on what's truth and what's error. And you put those things together, and God uses it for His glory. Uh, but we never provide the material things um, to manipulate them. We preach the gospel freely, and those who repent, repent. And we're so glad that when they do. Um, but it's a joy to, to give, and I commend you as a body. Uh, it's an amazing thing what God does continually. And those of you that go down know that better than anybody else. So it is an amazing thing. All right, we're going to continue in Amos. Let me pray. Father, thank you for your grace and love, your goodness. We come to you in Jesus' name. Thank you for just the outreach, Lord. Thank you for the people, the doctors, the ability to cross over and, Lord, just be so close to another nation and to be able to do something like this at such a low cost, such a... Insignificant, Lord, compared to anything that we would have to do to go overseas and do things. Lord, Lord, we thank you. And so help us do um, what we can do with all of our heart and as we continue to reach out. But, Lord, as we continue to do that here also, reaching out to those who are so lost here, and that we would continue to press, press through the mark and preach your word uncompromising, Lord. So, Lord, we thank you. We love you. Give us wisdom now as we look to Amos. In Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Why don't you turn to Amos chapter 5, please. Amos chapter 5. We're going to look at verses 1 through 15. And um, the message is entitled, The Broken Heart of God. Amos 5, 1 through 15. Now God created man to have fellowship with him, to walk with him in the garden, and to live a life without sin and apart from death. That was God's ideal. But through the fall, as you know, Adam introduced sin, and death came into the world, and death passed to all men, and Romans five twelve puts a silence to the gap theory that says that between verse 1 and 2 of Genesis, there was a creation, a recreation, a destruction. Not so. Death did not enter in until Adam... Nothing ever died before Adam. End of commentary. Romans 5.12 puts a stop to the gap theory that many Christians embrace. It's silly. Read your Bible. Now, this had to have broken God's heart to see Adam choose life, a life in the way of sin uh, over the life of living in fellowship with God apart from sin. It was a choice. There was no ignorance. There was no handicappedness or anything. Now, it did not take long for man to manifest his sin nature through jealousy, envy, anger, lies, even murder as Cain 
murdered his brother Abel. This is um, the lifestyle the northern kingdom of Israel had chosen to live. As the prophet Amos here in our text uh, presents the lamentation of Israel, which consists of three movements. Let me read our text. Amos 1 through 15. Hear this word, which I take up against you, a lamentation, O house of Israel. The virgin of Israel has fallen. She has, will rise no more. She lies forsaken on her land. There is no one to raise her up. For thus saith the Lord God, the city that goes out by a thousand shall have a hundred left. And that which goes out by a hundred shall have uh, ten left to the house of Israel. For thus saith the Lord to the house of Israel, Seek me and live, but do not seek Bethel, nor enter Gilgal, nor pass over to Beersheba, for Gilgal shall surely go into captivity, and Bethel shall come to nothing. Seek the Lord and live, lest he break out like fire the house of Joseph and devour it, with no one to quench it in Bethel. You who turn justice into wormwood and lay righteousness to rest in the streets, he made the Pleiades and Orion. He turns the shadows of death into morning and makes the day dark as night. He calls for the waters of the sea and he pours them out in the face of the earth. The Lord is his name. He rains ruin upon the strong. He that uh, so fury comes upon the fortress. That they that hate the one who rebukes in the gate, they abhor the one who speaks uprightly. Therefore, because you tread down the poor and take gain, grain taxes from him, though you have built houses of hewn stone, yet you shall not dwell in them. You have planted pleasant vineyards, but you shall not drink wine from them. For I know your manifest transgressions and your mighty sins, afflicting the just and taking bribes, diverting the poor from justice at the gate. Therefore, the prudent keep silent. At that time, for it is an evil day or evil time, seek good and not evil, that you may live. So the Lord God of hosts will be with you as you have spoken. Hate evil, love good, establish justice in the gate. It may be that the Lord God of hosts will be gracious to the remnant of Joseph. And so the prophet Amos <clears throat> presents to us the lamentation here of Israel which consists of three movements. We have here the call to hear the condition of Israel, verse 1 through 3. Second, we have the call to hear the confrontation for repentance by Israel in verse 4 to 9. And then thirdly, the call to hear the adjudication over Israel, verse 10 through 15. <clears throat> now, the call to hear the condition of Israel comes first, verse 1 through 3. It's never comfortable. It's never very uh, uh, anticipatory to hear about who you really are. Everybody has a tweaked view of themselves <laughs> to some extent. And when we're confronted with reality, then, no, get out of town. It is God who's speaking. Keep this in mind. Notice the call to hear the condition of Israel, verse 1 through 3. In verse 1, the prophet Amos here cries out to the people to listen here to their own funeral song. That's what's going on here. The nation was to give ear to the words of Amos that he was taken up in opposition to them. He says, against you. So this is not for them. The prophet's against them because God's against them. This is an imperative command, not a suggestion to hear. The prophet was, uh, was sent, but they had been sent all along. They had been sent to expose their sin and that people might repent. The length of time God had been sending the prophets to this point is somewhere around 270 years. That's a long time. That's a lot longer than our nation has been in existence. We've been in existence for 239 years. So you can't fault God in patience. Uh, this is the third sermon. The other two are identified with the same phrase, Hear the words. We've already seen it in chapter 3, the first one. It says, in view of their privilege, he deals with it. Hear this word, 
that the Lord Yahweh has spoken against you, O children of Israel, against the whole family which I brought up from the land of Egypt, saying, You only have I known of all the families of the earth. Therefore, I will punish you for all your iniquities. So the first one, first sermon 3, 1, is privilege. God only knew them. God had delivered them. God had done everything for them. High privilege requires great accountability. The second one, we uh, saw in verse 4, or chapter 4, verse 1, in view of their present sin. He says, hear this word, you cows of Basham, who are in the mountains of Samaria, who oppress the poor, who crush the needy, who say to your husband, bring wine and let us drink. And so the corruption was being led by women. This affluence, this wealth, this uh, opulent lifestyle at the expense of the poor. Uh, Notice the words here that are against them is a lamentation, as I stated. It means a dirge or a funeral song. Amos' heart was broken as he prayed for um, Jacob, if you will, he calls him, um, that he would stand because he was so small. A reflection of God's heart in there in Amos 7, 2, and 5. You see, the prophet was merely reflecting the heart of God. Um, you sometimes get burdened by somebody and, and you're praying for them and you're saying, Lord, be merciful. Lord, don't, don't let them be destroyed. Where, where do you think that desire came from? Do you think it's from you because you're so good? God moves within our heart. And if there's anything good to come from us, it's because we are yielding to God and God working in our heart to do so. Moses says, Lord, if you can't forgive them, blot my name out of the book of life. Now, do you think Moses was more compassionate than God? That prayer came from God. Laid in the heart of Moses to intercede for the people. The book of Lamentation of Jeremiah, read it. He's a broken-hearted man. The destruction of the southern kingdom. This is going to be a hundred years or so later after this. 722. Then you have the eight, uh, 586 final one of the south. The southern kingdom. Now, notice the words are addressed to the house of Israel again. The ten uh, tribes that have been given over to Jeroboam the first. But they had apostatized. You remember in 1 Kings eleven thirty-eight that the prophet Ahijah had, said, had torn their garment and given them ten pieces. said, if you will be faithful to God, God will build your house like the house of David. We'll never know how God would have worked that out. Now, if you're one of these guys that believe in predestination of everything, everything by decrees, nothing can happen apart from it, what do you do with that? God says, I would have blessed those ten nations as a house of David. But he didn't trust. He was afraid that they would go back to Jerusalem and give allegiance at the feast days to the house of David. And so he made two calves of gold and he put them in the centers of Dan and Bethel. And he says, here, O Israel, these are your gods who have delivered you from Egypt in 1 Kings 12, 28 through 29. So we'll never know how. But that doesn't throw a monkey wrench in God's machinery. He works all things out. God's not the worst for it. We are the worst for it. People. Notice they had been, um, they had scorned and tried the patience of Yahweh. So that judgment was the only thing left. Nothing else. From the first prophet sent to prophesy against Bethel, Jeroboam the first, as he sat there ready to burn incense in First Kings thirteen one through five, and he prophesied against the altar that was split, and the future man Josiah would burn the bones of the prophets there on it, and he stretched out his hand. He said, "Arrest that man!" And when he did that, God withered his hand, and he started crying like a little girl, and asked the prophet to pray for him, and he did, and he interceded, and he restored his arm. Did it turn him? No. Don't ever say that miracles save people. They do not. Miracles do nothing but just ask you to, let's see another one. It's the gospel that changes you. It's the word of God. Your response to it. Now we have the prophet Amos. 270 some years. Here we go. Last one. They're going in captivity, 722 to Syria. Now notice verse 2 and 3. The prophet Amos stated the certain doom of Israel. And he gives certain reasons. First, in view of their sinful condition. Listen to the words. The virgin of Israel has fallen. It's a 
perfect tense of completed action, not is going to fall, but has fallen. A virgin who allowed herself to be defiled and continued defiling herself by choice. Abandoning her oath of covenant to Yahweh. Depriving herself of her marital joy and benefits. And this is always the case, ladies and gentlemen. Listen to me. Don't let the world deceive you. The greatest treasure chest for life is the family. Not living together. Not having three, four girlfriends or boyfriends. Not a man with a man, not a woman with a woman, but it's the family. That's the nucleus of society. And that's where you're going to find your greatest fulfillment and joy. And if you fall prey to anything else, you're going to come up bankrupt at the end of your life. Guaranteed. Second notice, in view of having exhausted God's patience, she will rise no more. This is... No contradiction to the return of Israel after the Babylonian captivity. This is a specific fact that the northern kingdom would never rise again as a divided nation. She's going in as a divided nation. She's going to Assyria. When Judah goes into captivity a hundred or so years later into Babylon, those in Assyria also go into Babylon. They're one. They come back as one. That's all he's saying. Again, comparing scripture with scripture, the seeming contradictions get cleared up. Thirdly, notice in view of being abandoned by God, this is key. Verse 2, she lies forsaken in her land. There is no one to raise her up. God takes full responsibility for abandoning or forsaking her. That means it means to be left alone, to be abandoned by God, having no protection. The imagery, you can't miss it. A woman without a man to protect her, she's vulnerable. She's open to the wolves. It's real simple. No one could defend or restore her for God was against her and was about to use Assyria to destroy her. Fourthly, notice in view of God decimating the nation, real detail he gives us here. The guarantee of this prophetic judgment is divine authority. Listen, for thus says the Lord. Only God can predict the future, as you know. The evidence is overwhelming within the scriptures. We've seen many, many different prophecies. The 70 week of Daniel is one you can begin with, which is astronomical, and many, many others. Notice how specific this is. One in ten would be killed. That's what decimation means. We get the word decimal from it, okay? It's one-tenth. Listen to the words. The city that goes out by thousands shall have 100 left. And that which goes out by 100 shall have 10 left to the house of Israel. They would be devastated. They would be humble. One in 10. Now, we use the phrase sometimes just for someone devastated without being exact of a, of, of a tenth. But this is what he says. And he gives the tenth percent of different increments. That's a heck of a lot of people being wiped out. Now, Zechariah tells us that when Israel, two or three Jews are going to die under the hand of the Antichrist. That's a lot of people, ladies and gentlemen. The Bible is specific. This is like a father crying out to his son or daughter who have wasted their lives in drugs, drinking and promiscuity and whatever else you want to fit in there. And warning them all along and then having to come one day with a broken heart. With no joy, no celebration or smack of the lips. I told you so, but saying, son, you've wasted your life. You've thrown the best years and best things away. But even that cry is in hope of repentance. Because though you've lost all material things, though you've lost all who supposedly were your friends, you haven't died yet, so the hope is that you turn to God. And you don't lose out in eternal life, which is the most important. At times when people come to speak to us about their lives, they don't really want to hear God's word, what it says. They come in as they think they want to, or they present themselves as they want to, but they want to justify themselves. 
They want to blame others for everything. They don't want to hear the word of God or have to obey God's word. They don't want to trust him. They want you to fix it. It's just magical, you know? Here you've messed up your life for 20, 30 years and you come in and you think we're going to fix it in 10 minutes. There's no way. Listen to Proverbs twelve fifteen. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but he who heeds counsel is wise. But the majority of people don't heed counsel. They listen and they pick and choose what they want, what's convenient. People don't always like what you tell them about their spiritual condition. They think you're asking and requiring too much or they think you're making a mistake in your judgment about them. In fact, too many Christians today have bought into the political language and thinking that even as you speak to them, they say, well, you know, the Bible says you're not supposed to judge. And here in their own ignorance, they declare very confident, not, not knowing how ignorant they are to the scriptures. The Bible is very clear. There's one thing the Bible says is you better judge. If you don't judge, then how do you know when you're obeying? And how do you know when you're disobeying? Duh. It's simple. You have to judge right and wrong. Good and evil. Pride, a twisted view of self and sin, makes it difficult to accept the truth about one's own spiritual condition. All of us have to guard ourselves. Let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall, the scriptures declare. Listen to Proverbs 18.2. A fool has no delight in understanding, but in expressing his own heart. That's it. They, they have the last word. They, 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 they've got to just be the ones that are right. People will go one of two ways. They will be open to their bad spiritual state or deny it. What a joy it has been when we have seen, be it singles or married couples, deal with their sin and be a witness to all those around them as they repent and they see God bless them and turn them around and just do an incredible work. What a joy it has been through the years, uh, 42 years watching people just be blessed of God as they obey, as they, as they look to him. But how sad it has been also, as we have seen, whether it be singles or married couples, not to deal with their sin and then witness the difficulties that they bring upon themselves and others. The destruction of their wife, their husband, their children. It's grievous. There's no joy over that. There's no, you know, I told him. It's just a bummer. We lament for them. The husband, the wives, the children. I think of many in my mind right now just talking to you. They sat right where you sit. They, they served the Lord. They were on fire. They, they, they were so joyous for God, what he had done for their lives. They brought their families. They, they were involved and, 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 and they ended up destroying their lives and their families sometimes. Proverbs 14.3 says, In the mouth... Of a fool is a rod of pride, but the lips of the wise will preserve them. Proverbs fourteen sixteen: A wise man fears and departs from evil, but a fool rages and is self-confident. You see, the call to hear the condition of Israel was not commendable. There's nothing to commend at all. Notice the second movement comes in verse 4 through 9. The call to hear the confrontation for repentance by Israel is given to us here. In verse 4 through 7, the one pleading with Israel is God. The one speaking is Amos, but in the person of God. Listen to his word. For thus saith the Lord to the house of Israel. The phrase, thus saith the Lord here, capital letters, Yahweh. Appears five times in the chapter. Verse 3, 4, 16, 17, and 27. The phrase appears 42 times <clears throat> in the nine chapters. This is the authority behind this proclamation. The offer gives us the second command. Seek me 
and live. God speaking. Yahweh commanded Israel to seek him as their covenant God. The command was that they might live right and eternally with him. They were to do this with care and diligence, acknowledging their sin and not just doing it for the sake of the benefit. There's a lot of people that come to church, ladies and gentlemen, and they just come for the benefit. But not really because they see themselves as sinners or they have repented. They're just comfortable around, you know. Some of you guys are nice people to hang out with, you know. The prohibition, notice, was against their present idolatry. We've gone over them before. But do not seek Bethel, nor enter Gilgal, nor pass over Beersheba. So we've seen with um, Hosea. We've seen it with Joel. Here it is again. Bethel, the house of God, where Jacob met God there in Genesis 28:13, Gilgal in Joshua 5, 1 through 12, where they crossed into the promised land and they circumcised all those who were born during the 40 years, cutting away the flesh life, rolling away their shame, the reproach of Israel. Beersheba, it means well of oath of the seven. God is with you in all that you do, he tells Abraham, Genesis 21, and then the patriarchs. All these places were religious, godly places that God had met man, and now they had been turned over into idolatrous, evil places. Remember, God begins, and he's the one that makes things good, and we corrupt them. People move away from God. God established this thing, and then people take him over. Notice the reason is given. For Gilgal shall surely go into captivity, and Bethel shall come. The nothing, the reputation of the places was evil. God says, don't go there. Now notice the repetition of the offer is stated with the promise to destroy them if they do not repent. It's not a threat. It's an absolute promise. Listen to the words. Seek the Lord Yahweh and live, lest he break out with fire in the house of Joseph and devour it with no one to quench it in Bethel. Verse 6. Now, non-believer would say, well, I, I can't believe in a God like this. You know, he's just, he's just a bully. That's what they would say today. How dare they? <laughs> Can you imagine standing before God when you've called him a bully and many other things? And you have to give an account that day? Man. If they could, they're going to wet their pants. Guaranteed. Fire is often used for the wrath and the judgment of God. But God takes no pleasure. Ezekiel 18, 23. Why would you you die? I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked. Turn and live. 2 Peter 3, 9. God's not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. God would much rather forgive than to judge. Always. The house of Joseph indicates Israel. The northern kingdom, no big deal. He's just... Switching it around. No one would be able, notice, to stop <clears throat> the fire of God's judgment over the false worship centers and the false priests. Because remember, Jeroboam I took of the common people and made priests of them. The regular Levites went back to David. Listen to Hebrews 10.30. For we know him who says, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And again, the Lord Yahweh will judge, listen, his people. Who's he talking to in the Old Testament right here in Amos? His people. Who's Paul talking to in Hebrews? The church. Nothing has changed, right? The people of God. So people ignore all this stuff. Notice verse 7. The ones being addressed by God are those guilty of the particular charge. God does not make false charges. He doesn't slander people. Now people do it all the time. The internet is just a cesspool of slander in so many other areas. Everybody can shoot their mouth, slander people, character assassination. Nobody holds them responsible. It's ridiculous. Listen to the words. You who turn justice to wormwood and lay righteousness to rest in the earth. This is a great charge. They had been corrupting justice and destroying people. The word justice means the act of deciding in a case. And they were turning it into wormwood. Hemlock, a highly poisonous plant, sometimes translated bitterness. They had um, 
allow righteousness to be despised, to lay on the earth, meaning trampled upon underfoot, ignoring and violating. Even as we see our constitution being trampled upon for seven years, ignored, violated. Same thing. Here we are, 2,000 years down the road, same thing by those in power. Power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely, right? Golden rule, whoever holds the gold rules. The word righteousness means truthfulness and truth. Justice and righteousness are, the, are contiguous. They're overlapping words. They, they are similar but a little different to emphasize what it is that they are corrupting. That which holds the fabric of society together, ladies and gentlemen, when you lose decency, righteousness, and truth in the nation, in the streets, when, the, when newspapers and, and news agencies uh, uh, say to, uh, to a candidate that's running for president, and they call him an expletive on the front news, on the air, we have lost it, ladies and gentlemen. We have lost all civility. When you're standing in the grocery store and you got these two brain-damaged kids speaking profanity before you and your children and loud and they could care less, and if you say anything, they'll mad-dog you. We have lost it. When you can walk down the street with your drawers hanging down, and your underwear, your underwear, they're called underwear because they're supposed to be under your pants. You're showing your IQ. We've lost it. Notice the one confronting them in judgment is the creator and sustainer of everything. Verse 8 and 9. This is poetical rhyme. And rhythm. It could have been sung. Notice the God who created the Pleiades and Orion is the one who's doing it. Just to demonstrate the power and authority of his life and who he is. The Pleiades is a well-known open cluster of stars in the constellation of Taurus. Six or more stars visible to the naked eye. But there are actually some 500 in the cluster formed very recently in the stellar uh, terms, um, also called the Seven Sisters. Now, there's astronomy, the legitimate study of the stars and planets. There's astrology, which is mysticism of Greek mythology and all that. So he's not talking about it. He's talking about the actual Pleiades that got created. There's also Orion, a conspicuous constellation. They, in, they have the, of the hunter, if you uh, know that, and, and they... He's said to represent the hunter holding a club and the shield. It lies on the uh, celestial equator and contains many bright stars, including Regal, Betelgeuse, and a line of three that form Orion's belt. So all these things God has put in the skies, he created them. In fact, both of these are, are, are really a no noticeable change from winter to summer. And only seen from a certain uh, vantage point of the hemisphere, and not from another. So God has get, done all this. This is the one who's judged them. Job mentions them in, in, in Job. He says, He who uh, made the bear, Orion, and the Pleiades, and the chambers of the south, Job 9 9. Can you bind the cluster of the Pleiades or lose the belt of Orion, Job 38 31? Can you steer this thing through the space at the incredible speed that it's running and they never run together? Amazing. Notice the God who created a 24-hour day is the one that's speaking to them, dividing into day and night. He turned the shadow of death into morning and makes the day dark as night. For you to rest at night, you, your body just... You got it, your brain you starts running down in battery. Your body is not tired, it's your brain that gets tired. So you got to plug it back in. You got to get some sleep. 
Okay? And if you've ever worked graveyard, graveyard just throws your whole... In the 60s, you work graveyard. We put tinfoil on the window so it's completely dark in the room so you can sleep. Because your body, is, 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 God's created you in a certain way. He turns the morning into death and the, uh, the shadow of death in the morning and makes the dark place. So he created the moon, the stars, and the, and the sun all for the seasons, all for the thing. We're starting to see that it's getting darker um, uh, sooner at night. You know what I mean? And um, we're ready to move in. To the new season. And God provides um, one of the most basic things here needed to sustain life. Listen to his word. God calls for the rivers of the sea and pours them out on the face of the earth. This is the one that's talking, addressing them. The creator, the sustainer. God created the hydrological cycle for the earth to maintain itself and for us to have drinking water. The evaporation of the seas is what he's talking about. Precipitation, transportation through the clouds, downpour of the rain, weathering. uh, And then transportation after that erosion back out to the seas. We think we're so chic today. Listen to Solomon in Ecclesiastes 1.7. All the rivers run into the sea, yet the sea is never full to the place from which the rivers come. There they return again. Hydrological cycle. Who taught all this? God did. Adam was smart. You know how smart Adam was? He named every animal. Now you go home and create something and then think what you're going to call it. You'll change your mind and it'll probably take you three, four months before you're satisfied. Just one thing. And as smart as he was, he wasn't wise enough to follow God's word. So it's not a matter of intellect, ladies and gentlemen. It's a matter of your heart. Whether you're going to yield to the goodness of God or to the evil in your heart. One of the two. Notice the God who is responsible for all that is identified. He has a name. He's identified for us here. The Lord is his name. The word Lord, all capital letters, is Yahweh, as you know. It's what we call the tetragrammaton. The big word for the four consonants. Y-H, V-H, or W-H. Because there's no vowels in it. The Jews didn't put vowels because they felt they weren't supposed to pronounce the name of God so that when they were they wrote it, they would bow their head and they would they just write the consonants, but they wouldn't write the vowels. But God never intended that. God wanted us to know his name. Now, we don't know. We believe now it's Yahweh or Yahweh, not Jehovah. But God never intended it. But man gets religious and he does dumb things, right? That God never intended the word is based on the same verb as I am that I am that he told Moses in Exodus 3.14. The one that exists forever, the eternal one. The one that will meet all your needs. He'll be whatever you want him to be, the eternal one, the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning, the end. The covenant got to all generations of the Jews, all the patriarchs. This was his name forever, a memorial to all generations, Exodus 3.15 says. Revealing his person, his character, his authority, his power, all that he is, his reputation, if you will. A memorial for all generations by his acts and his mighty deeds. They're all around us. Notice in verse 9 the God who created, maintains, and sustains all creation, therefore, he is more capable, more than capable. Of bringing perfect judgment. He rains ruin upon the strong. So that fury comes upon the fortress. No one is too strong. And no castle is impregnable with God. This is the one you're dealing with, Amos S. You sure you want to deal with him in judgment? Or do you want to deal with him in repentance? Wow. You remember David passed himself off as something he really wasn't as he took on the wife of Uriah. 
as he was looked upon as a merciful, loving king, compassionate to take this woman on. Not even his baby, but it was his baby, and he killed Uriah. Until God sent Nathan, and he pointed his prophetic bony finger at him and says, You're the man, David. Now, we have a great, great record of what happened to David. He repented. As horrible as his life was after Bathsheba, he repented. What a different story we would have recorded if David had not repented. Would that have hindered God's prophecy? No, God would have worked it out. But David chose to repent. As bad as it was. There are certain places Christians have no business to be at or be part of any longer. We have no business hanging around with our old party friends for it will destroy our witness as we are present with all the drinking or whatever else goes on. Not to speak that it might just draw me back in and we've seen many people like that through the years being presumptuous. We have no business partaking in entertainment that is immoral or vulgar. It will only feed our old man and destroy us. I don't need any help in that area. We don't hang out on bars anymore. Strip joints. Pornography places. Listen to Peter. Therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same mind. For he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. The evidence that it's difficult, your heart is the evidence that you're born again. Because you have conviction. You have the Spirit of God in you. He says that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh for the lust of the man, but for the will of God. For we have spent enough time in our past lifetime in doing the will of the Gentiles when we walked in the lewdness of lust, drunkenness, revelry, drinking, parties, and abominable idolatries. First Peter 4, 1 through 3. Did you catch what, what Paul said there? We. He includes himself in this list. Amazing. And sometimes you have to be careful. If God can use your past to minister to somebody, fine. But be careful of getting together and you just start reminiscing the past and pretty soon you're laughing at it and you're glowing over it and, 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 and there you are again. Paul says, we shouldn't even be talking about these things any longer. We have no place there. It's a place of death. Place of rebellion. The simple provisions given to the believer to be right with God is repentance. Nothing else will do. Ignoring sin just furthers more sin. Rationalizing sin is being deceived by sin. And refusing to repent from sin brings destruction by and through sin. You see, repenting from sin is restoration from sin to be in fellowship with God. That is the only correct option. David spoke <clears throat> of his sin after Bathsheba. And listen to how he puts it in Psalm 32, 1 through 5. Blessed are, is he whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord Yahweh does not impute Iniquity. He just keeps building explicit adjective after adjective about the forgiveness of his sin. And in whose spirit there is no deceit. In other words, it's genuine repentance. When I kept silent, now he gives you a picture of what it was prior to his repentance. He's not glorying in it. He's teaching. When I kept silent, my bones grew old through my groanings all the day long. It was just gloomy, it was just cloudy, it was just no life, no joy, conviction, heartbroken, knowing what you've done. For the day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was turned into the drought of summer. 
just felt dry, dead. Sila. It means pause. Meditate on what I just have said. Meditate on that. I acknowledge my sin to you. Speaking about God. And my iniquity I have not hidden. I said I will confess my transgression to the Lord Yahweh. And you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Sila. Meditate on this. Whoa. There's no other solution that's, that's presented in the scripture. None whatsoever, ladies and gentlemen. The call to hear the confrontation for repentance by Israel was justifiable. This thing was all over their face. Notice the third movement. <clears throat> comes in verse 10 through 15. The call to hear the adjudication over Israel. In verse 10, the wealthy corrupted leaders or corrupt leaders were abusing their power and position. Nothing new under the sun. Every generation has them. Inside the church, outside the church. These leaders were tyrants. They hate the one who rebukes in the gate, it says. This verse looks back to verse 7. You can kind of lose the connection because of verse 8 and 9. It's pointing back to those who turn justice into wormwood and laying righteousness to rest on the earth. These are the ones that he's talking about here in verse 10. They were in the position of authority over the people. Proverbs 29.2 says, When the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. But when a wicked man rules, the people groan. The United States is groaning, ladies and gentlemen. Groaning like never before. Under such a corrupt administration. You ever get a chance, skip the book of Michelle Malkin. Culture of Corruption. Even before they got into office. I'm amazed that she's still alive. <laughs> Just amazed. These evil men were filled with venomous hate for the person who confronted them in their unjust rulings at the gate. The gate was where the kings judged the cases. Judicial uh, Actions would take place, business actions. Justice was handed out, but here was injustices. And here, um, they hate it. You look at the progressive liberal. They hate the conservative. They hate the patriot. They hate that you want your Second Amendment to defend yourself to bear arms while they have their bodyguards and Holly Weird has their bodyguards. Amazing. They hate that you make a judgment between right and wrong, that you say a man and a woman makes a marriage, not two men, not two women. They hate you. We don't hate them. I don't hate a homosexual. Any more than I hate a fornicator. Any more than I hate an adulterer. We preach the gospel to all because all have fallen short of the glory of God. There's a big difference. They hate what is good. They love what is evil. At the gate, Boaz redeemed Ruth. Absalom stole the hearts of the people. Oh, let me hear your case. My father's a king. He's too busy. Oh, if I were king, I would resolve all. And he would kiss them. And he steals the heart of the people at the gate. Wow. Remember, Elijah raised the son of that widow. And she left the land because there was a famine in the land. According to the words of Elijah, she came back to reclaim her property at the king at the gate. And there Elijah said, look, there's a woman. She'll come. <laughs> she went to the gate. This is where it's at. Now, <clears throat> notice these leaders disdain those of character. And they abhor <clears throat> the one who speaks uprightly. The word abhor simply means to loathe, to detest someone, as I express. 
There's just a, a detestment, a loathing of anybody who, who, who cares and wants for the good of things. Who would want decency. The word of horror means to loathe, to detest. Evil and darkness, hate, light and good. John 3, 19 says, And this is the condemnation that light came into the world, and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. Those who spoke uprightly notice. It means unimpaired. Complete and entire truth courageously. Now this is always the exception. This is never the rule, even in the church. Very few people will stand alone. Very few people will speak out before evil. The judgment of God was coming, but these men were not intimidated and they wouldn't be silenced before, before these evil people. The judgment from God over these evil leaders would be just. Look at verse 11. The reason for their judgment is therefore. Therefore is conclusion. The preceding thing is all a conclusion here. Therefore, because you tread down the poor and take grain taxes from him. Oh, taxes, nothing new. The verdict about their evil was that they would not enjoy the luxurious houses they have built out of stone. Most people are out of hay and, 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 and clay and different things like that. These people, man, they got it made from what? From the taxes. They wouldn't enjoy their big mansions. They wouldn't enjoy their vineyards. Though you have built houses of hewn stone, yet you shall not dwell in them. You have planted pleasant vineyards, but you shall not drink wine from them. Tyrants of taxes. We look at California, a democratic state. It's going the way of Chicago. We've paid for the roads with our taxes. Then they had gas tax. Then they had another tax. They doubled our registration. Now Brown wants to charge us as we drive per mile. Really? The diamond lanes, they were diamond lanes. Now they give them to, they make them speed lanes so you pay. Bunch of thieves. It's okay. If the Caesar belongs to Caesar, the God will belongs to God. God will take care of it. Look at 12. The witness and judge over them was God, who knows everything. The general declaration, for I know your manifest, your manifold transgression and your mighty sins. The specific declaration, notice, afflicting the just and taking bribes, diverting the poor from justice at the gate. These are heinous crimes. This is oppressing the people, just ruling over them. No compassion. The fearful awareness of the evil by the upright is noted by God. Look at 13. God says, therefore, the prudent keeps silent at that time. This is not cowardice. Prudent means those who consider, ponder, comprehend, who have insight, and they are sensible and wise enough to know when to speak and not to speak. That's very important in life. Look at 14 and 15. You have the command of God to these leaders to repent now. Is God good? Is he patient? God orders them. He doesn't suggest it. He orders them to do what was pleasing and agreeable to him. This is an imperative command again. Seek good and not evil. The hopeful outcome was twofold. That they live life differently and eternally with God. Here, then there. That you may live. Verse 14. That's what God wants in your life and mine. But we work so hard to die. If we worked half as hard to live as we do to die, we'd have been made. Then that they may be protected by God. So the Lord Yahweh, God of hosts, will be with you. The captain of the armies of heaven. Wow. It's not good enough for you to say you're on God's side. 
You want to make sure the captain of the host of the armies of heaven says, I'm on your side. By affirming himself to you every day of your life. This command was in stern confrontation with sarcasm. As he's saying this. Over their hypocrisy. Because all of this that he's saying. Here's the punchline. Ready? As you have spoken sarcasm. In other words, it's not going to happen. I would love it to happen. You say you're there. No way. God called them out. They were saying they were seeking good, being one with God, and that God was protecting them. Was he? Nope. They lived in their old idea, little sandcastle land. The unreal world of Obama. Not reality. Look at 15. God ordered them to stop doing what was unpleasing and disagreeable to him. These are three more imperative commands. Hate evil. Love good. Establish justice in the gate. But the hopeful outcome of the nation would not happen. Here it is again. Listen. It may be that the Lord Yahweh, God of hosts, the captain of the armies of heaven, will be gracious to the remnant of Joseph. What's he saying? It's not going to happen for the nation, only for the remnant. God knows the end from the beginning. The remnant would be treated gracious in their repentance. The majority of the nation was going to be slain and taken into captivity. By the captain of the armies of heaven. The few left in the land. Would be intermingled in marriage with others. That would be cross populated. And that's what you get the Samaritans from. Some Jews were left in Samaria. Gentiles were brought in from other lands. They intermarried. They are the result of the Samaritans. That's what it is. When we read in the New Testament. You know it's like one day a father... He was excited his son was coming home after graduation. And um, they were into the graduating ceremony and all that. And he came home and um, and his son had played the part all along these years as if he was still a Christian and everything. And he now being graduated, he came and he sat down with his father. He says, Dad, I, I don't believe in God anymore. Um, I don't believe Jesus died for my sins. I don't, I don't believe in any of the, what the Bible says. His father was so broken hearted and everything and he pondered and then spoke to his son that evening and said, son, I've thought about what you said and I want to let you know that everything that I have and have ever received, I've received from God. This house, the furnishings, the job, the health, everything, the money that it took to put you through school, that was God's money. The car that you're driving, all the things that you have loaded in your car, that's all God has given to us. He said, I want you to leave your keys on the kitchen counter. And I want you to take nothing out of this house. And that car, it's mine. The things in the car, they're mine. And I want you to go live this world, this life, without the God that you say you don't believe in. Now, do you think that father did that because he wanted to just get revenge? Or do you think he did that with a broken heart and hope of repentance? This is God. This should be us whenever we deal with people. The abuse and misuse of power and authority is nothing new, ladies and gentlemen. The first one was Satan, Lucifer, son of the morning, being second to God in heaven, walking in the garden of God, choir director, was not sufficient. So he led into rebellion, and a third of the angels followed him. Created in perfection from the first day. Beautiful. It wasn't enough. The scribes and Pharisees in the days of Jesus... Rule the people, as you know, self-righteous, 
the end with oppression. But Jesus rebuked them and pronounced uh, many woes of judgment over them. Let me give you one that I believe is very, very key. He says, but woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut up the kingdom of heaven against men. For you neither go in yourselves, nor do you allow those who are entering to go in. Matthew twenty three thirteen. These men are so corrupt that they, men who are attempting and entering the kingdom, they withhold them from them by deception, for, by all many different things. What accountability. Now, if you're one of these guys under the decrees of God, what are you going to do with that text? The words of Jesus. That these guys are hindering people that are attempting to go in and in fact are going into the kingdom. Accountability. The leaders of our world are getting ready to abuse and misuse their military power as we see um, the possibility of the scriptures being fulfilled prophetically. As Russia is making her move into the Middle East, bombing Syria and putting ground troops for the first time since World War II. If you don't think that's significant... You better do your American history at home. You're not going to get it at school. In 1969 to 72, President Nixon was dealing with Russia. Israel was hot, and Russia was ready to go in to attack Israel. And Nixon said, if you do, we're going to drop some bombs on you. And they held back, and that's where you get the salt talks. Kissinger went in. It could have ignited then. It did not. What we've seen right now could very well ignite Ezekiel 38 and 39. Time will tell us if it does. If it doesn't, it will come up again. But what's going to happen, is going to happen there. Not the United States. We have China who holds much of our debt. And their economy is about to collapse. We have Iran. The evil empire wanting to destroy both Israel and the United States. All three of these want to overthrow the dollar and collapse the U.S. economy. And they're working together to do that. But our president says we don't have to worry about anything. They're JV. And the world's going to be a much better place if um, we just make peace with our enemies. Wow. We see the very possibility, ladies and gentlemen. Listen to Ezekiel. It is God who does it. Son of man, set your face against Gog of the land of Magog, the prince of Rush, Meshach, Tubal, and prophesy against him. And say, Thus saith the Lord Yahweh, God Elohim, Behold, I am against you, O God, the prince of Rush, Meshach, and Tubal. Now listen carefully. I will put, I will turn you around, put hooks into your jaws, and lead you out with all your your armies, horses, and horsemen, all the splendidly clothed, with a great company, with bucklers and shield, all of them handling swords. God will bring Russia forward to attack Israel. And God will destroy five-sixths of that army. Wow. The call to hear the adjudication over Israel was not avertable. He couldn't stop it. This is the northern kingdom. Amos is prophesying, presenting the lamentation, the brokenheartedness of this prophet and God. Three movements. The call to hear the condition of Israel was not commendable. The call to hear the confrontation for repentance by Israel was justifiable. 
And the call to hear the adjudication over Israel was not avertible. It was coming. Nothing could stop it. How close are we? We don't know. But we're to be ready, looking up. For our redemption is closer than when we first believed. Father, thank you for your grace, your love, your goodness. Deal with our hearts. Help us to look to you and to trust you and to be wise. Pray for every person here. Your hand be upon them, Lord. You would speak to them. And Father, we pray that they would repent of their sins. As you're praying, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, God has brought you here to be saved, to repent of your sins. Maybe you're over the internet. Then God has dealt with your heart as you've heard the word of God. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. If you believe Jesus is God who became man, died for your sins and rose from the dead, then the Bible says you can call upon him and he will save you, he will deliver you. And you will cry out to that psalm like Psalm 32 as David did. And you'll live. But only you can make that decision. If you want to repent of your sins, this is your prayer right where you sit. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. I ask you to forgive me, Lord, for all my sins. Give me a brand new heart. Fill me with your spirit. I accept you as Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name. Amen. If you made that decision, we want to welcome you to the family. Tony will meet you at the right, right there by that door. Give you a Bible absolutely free. Share those important things for your growth and give you a hug. You're free to leave, but don't leave here the same way you came in. Tonight, chapter 5 and 6 as we move on in Amos. If you have any questions, we'll be up here. If you need prayer, we'll be up here. Thank you for coming. God bless you. Have a great day. Oh, baptism tonight too. Remember that.